Well, hey guys, a little bonus episode here I've got. You know, when I first got into reading about the mob, and, and, and I'm talking about back in my early 20s, maybe even late teens, I was really fascinated by this story, The Night of the Sicilian Vespers. Uh, I read a book about, you know, the early days of the mob. I don't remember the book. It might, there's one, Murder Incorporated, which uh, I, I think that was after that. It, it was even earlier than that. It may have been uh, Peter Moss's story about Joe Valachi and might even been before that. Anyhow, I read a book about the founding of the mob and talking about the night of the Sicilian Vespers, how when this was the this was the night after that Luciano had Mayor Lansky and Bugsy Siegel and a couple of his guys kill Salvatore Maranzano, who had declared that he was the bosses of the bo- uh, bosses or the capo de tutti capi. And if you think about that word, capo must be singular boss. And Capi, C-A-P-I, must be bosses. So Capo de Tutti Capi. Anyhow, they, uh, they murdered him September the 10th, 1931. And that was what they called the Americanization of the mafia. Now, you know, over the years, I've become curious. And, and supposedly, if I don't remember how many people they said that night, there have been a variety of different people or books have reported. Uh, one book said there was 40 people killed all over the United States. Another book, I think, said 80 or 60. And he had a lot of people killed and all over the United States. St. Valentine's Day massacre was a big deal. It wasn't, it wasn't that night. It wasn't that day. And there were only seven people killed there. So if there were 40 to 60 people in the mafia killed, even spread out across the United States, there would have been headlines in every major city in the United States. Little history on this. Lucky Luciano had killed Joe the Boss Masseria for Maranzano. They were like the two old mustache peas that were competing to take over and be the boss of bosses. Pretty soon Maranzano realized Lucky Luciano was a threat. He was a pretty ambitious guy. And he hired this Irish gangster, Vincent Magdog Call, to kill Luciano. Well, Tommy Lucchese got word of this and he alerted Lu- Luciano. They were like peers under uh, Maranzano. And uh, so Luciano struck first. Luciano was ordered, Maranzano ordered Luciano and Vito Genovese to come to his office. And, and it's in what the, if you are in New York City and you want to go see where this happened, it's in what they call the Helmsley Building, that's at 230 Park Avenue in Manhattan. Luciano didn't show up at that meeting. Meyer Lansky and Bugsy Siegel and a couple other guys did, came in acting like they were government agents. And, and they say stabbed Maranzano several times before shooting them. And, and that was later on, that was what they called the Night of Sicilian Vespers. So let's take a look at this story. You know, now Luciano, after that, could have declared himself as boss of all bosses, but he abolished that title and and he knew that that would create trouble and he just wanted to make him uh you know uh, himself a a uh, a boss among other bosses and he created the national crime commission out of that or the uh, the national syndicate if you will and that was a governing body for the entire united states for organized crime which you know we got the evidence of that up in Appalachian and and other meetings around the country and other informants have come in and talked about this but let's go back and exa- examine this night of the sicilian vespers so one of the first places to look i got this from alan may uh, if you if you really want mob history, go Google Alan May M A Y, and you'll find a website with a ton of good stories. And 
And he said that he started looking down this path and, and he went to the last testament of Lucky Luciano. Now, you would think he would set the record straight on this since he's a guy that ordered the death of Salvatore Maranzano to begin with. Uh, looking in that, you'll find that the only thing he says that day is that he has heard that story and he said all that stuff them writers always printed about what they called the United Sicilian Vespers was mostly imagination. That everybody, every time somebody writes about that day, the list of guys that supposedly got bumped off was getting bigger and bigger. He talks like a gangster, doesn't he? Last count I read was around 50. But the funny thing is, nobody could ever tell you the names of the guys that got knocked off that night that Maranzano got his. I personally don't know the name of one top guy in the Maranzano group in New York, Chicago, Detroit, or Cleveland, or anywhere that got rubbed out that night. So, so... You know, but maybe, you know, maybe since he ordered that, he doesn't want to act like he knows anything about it. He did say the only person that got knocked off that night in New York was uh, a guy named Gerardo Scarpato, who was a guy that owned the restaurant that Lucky Luciano used to set up Joe the Boss Masseria sometime in, in less than a year before. And so that's, you know, I, you know, maybe they, Luciano might have ordered that one in order to cut that connection in case that guy would ever think he might want to testify about the murder of Joe, the boss. You know, I, I don't know. So let's let's keep looking at where this came from and, and what happened in other parts of the United States. I have said this myself over the years, uh, not since I started really seriously doing mafia stuff. But back probably when I was in the intelligence unit and when I was a young guy, I wanted to be, you know, the expert. And I'd read all the books that I could at the time on the mafia. And so I'm sure I said that. But, you know, <laughs> I have to take those words back. I didn't write it anywhere, at least. Alan May went around and started asking people. And he talked to a guy named Burton Turkus, who was a prosecutor who helped prosecute many of the Murder, Inc. members. and he had a 1951 book and he said the day maranzano got his is it was the end of the line for the greaser crowd in the italian society the finish of the mustache Pete's, and it was a definite wind up to the mafia as an entity and a power in national crime he didn't know <laughs> like luciano was uh, was gonna move down below the radar and, and make it into a national powerhouse Burton Turkus, the prosecutor says, for in line with Lucky's edict, which meant to, you know, do away with the old mustache piece, some 30 to 40 leaders of the mafia's older group all over the United States were murdered that day and over the next 48 hours. Well, now, why would a guy like this, he's a prominent prosecutor, why did he make this up? I mean, it, and he did say that it was over 48 hours. He didn't say it was all one night gang rule in new york that really was the first book to discuss these murders is by craig thompson and alan raymond and, and they claimed that this was the day which all the principal quote greasers unquote were liquidated they said that this the americanization campaign bumped into an important snag where there's many o-line leaders and men of importance who were clannish and illiterate and had no sympathy for the ideas of cooperation that the younger and more far-sighted members of the mob were advocating. Uh, so 
they kind of support it. They don't really have any names. And Joe Bellacci, he was one of the more important guys, more important informants, as, as y'all know, a uh, member of the Genovese crime family. He testified before the McClellan Committee. Peter Moss, when he wrote Bellacci's story, wrote, the murder of Maranzano was part of an intricate, painstakingly executed mass extermination engineered by the dapper, soft-spoken, cold-eyed Charlie Lucky Luciano. On the day Maranzano died, some 40 Cosa Nostra leaders allied with him were slain around the country. Practically all of them were Italian-born old-timers eliminated by the younger generation making its bid for power. Now, I don't think Joe Bellacci talked like that. That's Peter Moss talking. <laughs> I think he's filling in between the lines here. 1969, there was a professor of sociology at the University of California named Donald Cressy. He was a uh, consultant to the President's Commission on Law Enforcement, and he wrote something called The Theft of a Nation, The Structure and Operation of Organized Crime in America. Now, that's that's a theft of a nation. That was a pretty important book at the time. And he claims the Maranzano slain was not an isolated incident. It was part of the last major battle of a war. The day Maranzano was killed has been long known as Purge Day in Cosa Nostra. On that day and the two days immediately following, some 40 Italian Sicilian gang leaders across the country lost their lives in battle. Oh my God, this guy. <laughs> Most, if not all, of those killed on that infamous day occupied positions we would now characterize as boss, underboss, or lieutenant. Now, here's a, you know, a big-time government expert claiming the same thing. So let's look into this a little further. Maybe there's something to it. Another book, 1975, that story's still going around. There's a book called Brothers in Blood, The Rise of the Criminal Brotherhoods by David Chandler. He put kind of a bizarre spin on this. Uh, he's, he claims there, Chandler claims, Chandler claims there were 60 victims. Here's what he said. Each of the 60 victims must have been kept under surveillance to establish his daily pattern. For each of the 60, a hit team had to be organized and gunmen chosen who wouldn't betray the plan. When Purge Day, get that, Purge Day arrived, the hit teams had to be delivered to their target's area. A communications liaison must have been worked out to relay the go-ahead message from New York that Maranzano had been killed to each of the teams. At least 300 men must have been in on this plot. Yet, it went off without a hit so smoothly, it took more than a year before the first hint of a brotherhood purge filtered out to the police. One reason the shakeup went off so quietly was that in many cases, it took days, even months, before the bodies were discovered. Some of the bodies have never been found. Wow. This Chandler dude even won a Pulitzer Prize in 1962. That was before this for investigative reporting. I'd say it was investigative fictional reporting. Let's see why people get mad at the uh, uh, reporters and newspapers and the media for amping things up. I mean, did you hear what that guy said? When Purge Day arrived, they had 300 men had to be on their targets and nobody noticed throughout the United States. So he, he puts that off as because their bodies weren't discovered right away. Well, let me tell you something, folks. In each one of these cities in Kansas City, had you bumped off 
some old line Italian mafia leader, the family would have been everywhere. They would have been asking questions. They would have, it, 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 you just can't keep that on the down low. You just cannot keep that on the down low. I've been around a little bit. I've been, I've been to a goat roping and a rodeo and a county fair, man. <laughs> you can't keep that shit down. So if you, if you look in this Alan May article, I found out that he traced down the origin of this tale, the night of Sicilian Vespers. Alan May just kept reading and kept researching. And he wanted to find the first mention that of this night at Sicilian Vespers and all these men getting killed around the country. He finds that there was a history professor from the University of Kentucky named hum- Humbert S. Nelly. What a name, Humbert. Anyhow, <laughs> he had a grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities and the Kentucky Research Foundation. He traveled around the country to 14 cities and did what he called an extensive examination of Italian criminal activity. And he wrote a book called The Business of Crime, Italians and Syndicate Crime in the United States. Uh, He claims he traced down the origin of the Night of Sicilian Vespers tale. He found a Collier's Magazine article and a Dixie Davis, who was a lawyer for Dutch Schultz, claimed that he knew about the killings. And he talked to a reporter and Dixie Davis and Dixie Davis said there was a Dutch Schultz gunman named Abe Bro Weinberg and that Weinberg had discussed the killings with him. And he said Weinberg claimed that he was part of the Maranzano murder, which would make sense. He could have been. It was kind of the origins of murder incorporated that did that Maranzano murder under Marilansky and uh, Bugsy Siegel. And he claimed that the killings did happen that night, and there was a nationwide attack on all the old-timers. He claims, in fact, at the same hour as Maranzano's death, there were about 90 guineas knocked off all over the country. So that's one of the, the first origins of this story. And if there were there 90, were there 60, were there 40, I don't know how many were there? Uh, so... Who were these supposed murder victims? So he did find that three men in New York City in that immediate vicinity were murdered on September the 10th. Samuel Monaco and Louis Russo, they found their bound bodies by the Hackensack River. And there was a James Lepore who had been murdered on a Bronx street. Now, the best he could find, other than Maranzano and the Scarpato, that was those were the only people killed in New York City. That, and he didn't find any in the other parts of the United States. So, this appears to be the extent of this Night of Sicilian Vespers massacre. Now, how how did he do this research? Well, mainly he went to newspapers, and believe me, I have done a lot of newspaper research in Kansas City and other cities. And back then, especially in the 30s, and they, these newspaper reporters were all over the mob. They had sources in the mob. They drank in mob bars. They drank with mobsters. They did favors for each other. Uh, it was, I mean, they were all over. They had good friends in the cops. They had sources in the cops. You had dirty cops who were in bed with the mob back then. And, would you know, they would have known something about it. These people start dropping out of sight. 
you know, even if you don't find the bodies, like I said before. So he looked at review and did an extensive review of newspapers in Baltimore, Boston, Chicago, Cleveland, Denver, Detroit, Kansas City, Los Angeles, New Orleans, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, and San Francisco. So, you know, old line mobs, people, New Orleans, Kansas City, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, Detroit, Cleveland, Chicago, Boston. I mean, you know, somewhere you're going to find during those months of September, October, November of 1931, there would be people missing, there'd be people murdered, there'd be bodies found, more than one. Found only one murder that could be even remotely tied to that purge, and that was in Denver, Colorado. So why Bo Weinberg started telling that to people, I don't know. He was eventually killed himself by Dutch Schultz, but, uh, you know, I, I don't know. It's just, it's an interesting story, and uh, I just wanted to relate that to you and, and start putting that myth to rest, the night of the Sicilian Vespers. Thanks, guys. I, I really appreciate your support. You know, be sure and like and subscribe. Tell other people about the podcast and the YouTube channel, and, you know, that's that's how we keep going as we get more and more followers. And I like having more and more followers. Uh, otherwise, it wouldn't be worth it to do it. I might just quit. No, I'm just kidding. I do it for fun. I do it because it, it's enjoyable, and and I like the intellectual stimulation. And better than working a crossword puzzle, I, I say. Don't forget, look out for motorcycles when you're out there on the streets. And if you have a problem or you have a friend that has a problem with PTSD and they've been in the service, go to the VA website and get that hotline. Thanks, guys.